John chapter 4, beginning at verse 27. This is the word of God. Just then, his disciples came back and then marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. We thank God for this, his word. And as Caleb said, we're really continuing on with a story that we paused halfway through uh, last week. And so... We'll jump back in there at verse 27. Let me pray and ask that God will help us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we know that that's how you speak to us. And so, Lord, might we be hungry, hungry to be fed by your word, and might we be obedient to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do each of these have in common? A dinner dance, a social, a dating app, Portadown CE, school, and university. Okay, have a little think, scratch your head for a minute. Well, I mean, what, what do these have in common? Well, I'm imagining there's many of you who have worked out that actually, for a large percentage of those who are married here, that is where they met their spouse. These aren't just the kind of stories you hear one, once off. Whenever I go around and visit some of you, I hear them again and again and again. These are the kind of places that you met your spouse. Well, what is the, the Bible equivalent of a dating app or put it on CE? Well, it's actually a well. Okay, that, that's what it is. A well is the equivalent. If you've been coming along to our evening services, and if you haven't, well then, 
you need to get along because it really helps us to understand all of the Bible, how it fits together. But if you've been coming to our evening services, well, perhaps last week as the Bible reading started, you thought, oh, I spot a connection with the morning service. And this, the connection was that of an encounter at a well. Last week in Genesis 29, we were thinking about how Jacob at a well meets Rachel, the woman that he would later marry. And if you were there last week, Mark was highlighting just how this was somewhat similar to something else we'd spotted in Genesis before. Back in Genesis 24, another well this time. And although it was a servant sent on behalf of Isaac, the servant meets Rebekah, and she later becomes Isaac's wife. Maybe you're thinking, Jeff, I also know another story that's something pretty similar. Yeah, could well be the case. If you were to jump to Exodus 2, Exodus 2, this time it's Moses. Moses is at a well. Who does he bump into at a well? But he bumps into a young lady called Zipporah, who later becomes his wife. It's a pattern that we see throughout the Bible. It's, it's kind of like a type scene. And so as you read it, you get to this a well scene. You expect to know what's going to happen in the story. A boy travels through a foreign land. He gets to a well. The boy meets a girl. The girl then goes home with news of the encounter. And the story ends with a marriage. And what I want you to see is that the very same thing happens in this story. But rather than this woman adding one more to a long list of husbands that she's already had, the marriage that this story points to is not just between two individuals, the woman and and Jesus, but rather Christ and his bride, the church, which is made up of people from all over the world. So let's jump in. Remember what had happened last week in the first half of the story? The disciples and Jesus were making their journey from Judea up to Galilee. And Jesus was tired from the journey. And so what does he do? He stops off, takes a rest at the well. And the disciples, they've gone on into the city because they go to buy food for them. And we're told it was about midday. Now, midday... We know that's the hottest part of the day. And this woman comes to collect water at the hottest part of the day. Now, that's an unusual thing to happen, isn't it? You don't come to collect water at the hottest part of the day to have to carry it back into town. That's unusual, and we're supposed to pick that up. It's not normal. And usually, women would come together. They'd come in a group, and this woman is on her own. This is not normal. This is unusual, and we're supposed to pick that up. And then Jesus had initiated this conversation with the woman, and he'd asked her for water, and they end up getting into this conversation where Jesus offers this woman living water and eternal life. And the woman, she could, well, she hadn't quite understood what Jesus was talking about. She was thinking physical water when Jesus was really speaking about spiritual matters, something that would quench her spiritual thirst. And then, almost in a moment, it all changed. Because Jesus asked the woman about her husband, to which she responded, saying that she didn't have one. And Jesus said, you're right in saying that you don't have one, because this woman has had five husbands. But now she's sleeping with someone who isn't even her husband. And it was that moment that swung the whole conversation, wasn't it? That swung the whole conversation, because the woman now realized that This man that she was speaking to at the well, well, this was 
This was no ordinary man. <laughs> was he a prophet? Is that who this man was? Well, Jesus claimed that he was more than a prophet. He claimed that he was the prophet. The prophet. He was the Messiah, the future bringing, bringer of salvation. And so the question is, how does the woman respond? How does she respond to this claim that Jesus is the prophet, the Messiah? The Samaritan woman who's had her sinful past exposed. The Samaritan woman who's had her false religion exposed. The Samaritan woman who's came to the well thirsty. How does she respond whenever she meets Jesus? Well, before we see her response, there's another response that John wants to give us. And that's the response of the disciples. Look with me, verse 27. Just then as disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Now, this is by no means the, the main part of the story, okay? But John the author thinks this is really important, and so he chooses to include it. The disciples are shocked that, that Jesus is speaking to a woman, a Samaritan woman at that. Now, why might that be? Well, we talked a little last week about how Jews and Samaritans didn't normally interact with each other. But here the focus isn't really on the fact that this is a Samaritan woman, but rather that she is a woman. And the reason that that's such a shock is because in the culture of the day, this didn't normally happen. This flew in the face of conventions of the day. Apparently the customs of the day meant that a Jewish man wouldn't speak to an unrelated woman in public. And yet, as one commentator puts it, he says, Jesus was not hostage to the sexism of the day. Jesus wasn't hostage to the sexism of the day. The kingdom of heaven is not restricted to men only, no, men and women. The call to be a disciple of Jesus goes out to men and women. And in deliberately choosing to engage with this woman at the well, Jesus really reminds us of that, doesn't he? This is an important note, okay? Jesus calls men and women to be his disciples. Really important. And yet, I want to just highlight what this is not saying, okay? This is, what the, this is also important. It's not that Jesus is saying that gender doesn't matter. It's not that Jesus is saying that there's no difference between male and female. It's not that Jesus is saying that there's no distinction in rules. Now, there's many other parts of scriptures which really focus on, on those uh, questions and answers, but here that's not the thrust of it. Here it's saying disciples, those being called to, to come into the kingdom, it's open to both male and female, equal in value and worth and yet different, complementary. But the focus here is, remember we said it was the, the kind of people the kind of people that could come into the kingdom. And what we see here is that it's open to both men and women. Jesus doesn't just go with the accepted customs of the day. Male or female, you're invited into the kingdom of God. And so what was this woman's response? Well, verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Here she is. She's um, walked out of the town to get water. 
And what's the little detail that John chooses to include at this point? Well, he says that she runs off back into the town, and what does she not take with her? The water jar, the very thing that she came from for, is no longer the pressing matter. And you kind of wonder why John chooses to include this little detail. Is it, is it that John is trying to get us to think something like this? Here's a woman who came to the well thirsty, unsatisfied, looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places, seeking after something that would truly satisfy. And as she meets Jesus, as she meets Jesus, she finally finds it. And she can't help but go and tell others, can she? She can't help it. Can you picture her as she hurries back into the town to share the news and, and offer the invitation? Here's this woman who comes to the well at noon, the hottest part of the day, presumably because she wants to avoid the gaze of all the others in the town. But after meeting Jesus, she's off like a shot, isn't she? Into the town, and she's saying, she's saying this, she's saying, come and see, come and see Jesus. Isn't that what she says? Verse 29, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? If you've been here throughout the, the series of John's gospel, I'm assuming that you might be starting to make some connections. You might be saying, come and see, come and see. I, I've heard that before. I've heard that before in John's gospel. Isn't that what Jesus himself said to Andrew and the other disciple in in John 1, 39, he says, come and you will see. And isn't that what Philip said to Nathaniel in 1, 46? Come and see. And here is the Samaritan woman, and she is doing what disciples do. She goes and she says to those back in her town, she says, come and see. Come and see Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, well, then can I suggest that this is, this is a mark of a Christian, a mark of a Christian is someone who, who cares about others and wants them to come and to meet Jesus. Someone who goes out and says, come and see. Come, come and see. Come and see Jesus. And so I wonder this morning, is that a mark of your life? If you say you're a Christian here this morning, is there a, a missional heart? One that says, I, I want to see people come to put their faith in Jesus. I want to invite people to come and see Jesus, the Savior of the world. Because if that's not a desire of your heart, well then, something has gone badly wrong. And you need to repent, and you need to say, God, I, I, I want to see more people brought into the kingdom. On the first night of Christianity Explored, um, down in Cafe Casa, I looked around, there was about 20 people packed into Cafe Casa. And I think pretty much everyone who was there was there for one reason. And the reason was this. Someone had went to them and said, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see what we're talking about. Come and see what the Christian faith is all about. Come and, come and see. Come and see. Now, I know that many of you asked people and, and they didn't come. I know that many of you asked people and they didn't come, but you got into great conversations. Maybe you're even still talking about Jesus with them. But just because someone didn't come, don't let it put you off inviting people to come and see Jesus because some did come and some did come to see Jesus. 
Don't underestimate the, the power of a personal invitation from an ordinary, everyday believer. Because that's what we see here in this passage, isn't it? Look at the response that this woman gets in verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. That's Jesus they're talking about. They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Now perhaps, perhaps you think, Jeff, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't invite someone to come and see Jesus. Everyone knows my story. Everyone knows my sinful past. I mean, I, I can't go. I can't invite people to, to come and see Jesus. Maybe you think it's, it's okay for you. You're, you're a minister, you and Alistair, and maybe the staff team. They can go. They can invite people to come and see Jesus, but not me. Well, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. The thing is, most of the relationships I have are actually with you guys, okay? Because that's who most of my time is spent with. People who are already connected with or are part of the church family. Whereas you have connections with a whole different world that, that anybody who stands up here does not have connections with. And I want you to notice the difference. Notice the difference in response to the disciples' witness in the town and that of this woman. The disciples, they head into the town. How many people come back with them to see Jesus? None. We're not told of anybody, are we? None come back, but, but what happens when this woman goes in? Well, do you spot the difference, boys and girls? Do you see the difference here? I mean, it feels like the whole town comes out to meet Jesus whenever she says, come and see Jesus. The woman goes into the town where she's known. The town where she's known, I assume, sins and all. And despite her past, maybe even because of her past, it opens up an avenue, doesn't it? For her to invite people to come and see Jesus. And look how the town responds. And I wonder, I wonder who might respond if you were to say, come and see Jesus. I wonder who might respond to your invitation that might respond to nobody else. But if you were to say, come and see Jesus, Come, come, come to church with me, join with me and, and, and see what this Jesus that we're talking about is all about. Or come and, come and read, read Mark's gospel with me. Let me show you Jesus. Or let me meet with you one-on-one and I'll tell you what they were going through in Christianity Explored. I wonder who you could say that to and they would say, yeah, I'll do that. But if any of the rest of us were to say, come and see Jesus, they would say, no, <laughs> no. I wonder if there's a great host of people who are, who are out there who would love to be in here, who would love to hear about Christ and what he's done for them, who would love to hear the good news of the gospel, and yet we're in here and we assume that they don't want to be in here, they just want to stay out there, but they want to be in here, but nobody's ever invited them to come along. And I wonder if you were to say, come and see, might they say Yes. Might they say yes? We're coming up to Easter. We were talking lots before Christmas about inviting others to come and join us. Why not take Easter as another opportunity? Another opportunity where you could say to someone, hey, why not come along with me this Easter? Easter's all about the Christian story. Let me, let me take you to church with me. We've got a Good Friday service, Easter morning, Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, Easter Sunday evening. Three opportunities, isn't it? Three opportunities for you to say to someone that you have a relationship with, come and see. Come and see. Here this woman has, has met with Jesus. She is changed as a result. 
And she's inviting hosts of others to come and to see for himself. It's exciting stuff, isn't it? Can you notice there's not a great big delay? A great big delay where she goes away and learns all about her faith for three or four years before she starts inviting people. No, no, no. As soon as she meets with Jesus, she's changed and she goes and she starts to invite people. So what happens next? What happens next? Well, it's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? Because John, the author, moves the camera off the woman and and those in the town and focuses in now on the disciples. I mean, but your, your heart's pounding after, after the kind of the excitement of the story of this woman going out and telling lots of people, and they're coming to Jesus. And then John just moves the camera lens and focuses in on the disciples. The disciples are focused. They're focused, yes, but they're not focused on the people who are coming to Jesus. They are focused on food. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? <laughs> Here's this wonderful moment, isn't it? A wonderful moment where many Samaritans are coming to meet with Jesus. The disciples are, are focused not on that, but they're focused on stomachs, aren't they? Full stomachs. And it's not that full stomachs are not important, okay? Let, let me clarify that, okay? It's not that that's not important. It's just that it's not the priority at that moment, okay? It's not the priority. People coming to Jesus, people coming into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God, people believing in Jesus, surely that's the priority of the moment. And Jesus tries to say that very thing to the disciples, doesn't he? When he says that he has food to eat that they don't know about. He's talking not about physical food, he's talking about spiritual things, isn't he? And again, the disciples don't get it. <laughs> and so they ask among themselves, did somebody else bring, did somebody else bring Jesus food when we were away? Is that, is that, why, he's, is that why he's not hungry? <laughs> because they misunderstand what Jesus is talking about, don't they? They misunderstand. And again, it's a pattern that we've seen through John's gospel. Again, scratch your head, have a think, where have you seen this before? Well, Jesus is speaking about spiritual things, and, and whoever he's speaking to doesn't, doesn't get it. Well, it happened with the Samaritan woman, didn't it? It happened with Nicodemus. It happened with the Jews in the temple. It's a pattern, isn't it? And each time Jesus is talking about something in a spiritual way, and those that he's talking to, at least initially, well, they don't understand what he's talking about. And they think that he's purely just talking about physical things in front of them. And here we have the disciples, the ones who have given their lives to following Jesus, and yet, what do we see? They are slow, aren't they? Slow to pick it up. Yes, they follow Jesus. Yes, they have some understanding, but they are still slow to learn, slow to grasp things further. And as I read it, it gives me hope. <laughs> It gives me hope. Because don't you find that you are much like that? That you're slower to understand God's word than you want to be? That you're much slower in spotting connections than you wish you were? That you're much slower at seeing what it is that the text is really, really driving at? Often we have a, like a knee-jerk reaction as we read through a passage. We think, oh, it's, it's mentioned this, so it's about that. <laughs> and it's actually not really about that at all, but we, we feel to see. And so, 
we too find ourselves misunderstanding much of what's said, don't we? And perhaps, perhaps this morning each of us could echo a prayer like this. Lord, I come to you this morning asking that you would give me eyes to see and to really see and a humble heart, a humble heart that does not hold hard to what I was brought up being taught just because I was brought up being taught it, or, or to hold to a theological position that I've held for years and, and now I feel like I cannot change even though I'm convinced that it's not what Scripture's saying, but rather let your Word and your Spirit together shape my life. Might I ever be being conformed to the truth of your word with increased understanding. I hope that you might have been able to echo that in your heart this morning, that that could be your prayer. Well, although the disciples, they they didn't pick it up first time, did they? But look how gracious Jesus is, because he keeps explaining. He keeps explaining so that they, they might have a chance of of getting it. He uses this as a teaching opportunity for his disciples, doesn't he? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And this is what really satisfies Jesus, isn't it? As we were thinking about in the children's address earlier, this is what satisfies Jesus, doing the will of the Father. And it's not that the will of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is different to that of God the Father. No, the Father and the Son are in agreement. But doing the will of the Father is what satisfies him. And so I wonder, can you say that this morning? Is that what drives your deepest longings and desires? Seeking to do the will of God in your life, living on his word, is, is that what really gets you going? Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit of eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. So what's Jesus saying to his disciples here? Well, I think the big thrust of it is this. He's saying to his disciples, see the harvest, see the harvest. Disciples, don't miss what's happening because you're so concerned about the food in your belly. See what's happening. And it it looks like Jesus picks up maybe what was that, a well-known proverb of the day. Do you spot that? There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Really, as a, a proverb, isn't it, that, that teaches that you must wait and be patient for the crops. We might say something like, first comes seed time, then comes harvest. There's an expectation that there's time in between, isn't there? You don't expect to go out and sow the seed and like walk up one side of your garden sowing the seed and walk down the other side reaping it. I mean, you don't expect that to happen. You're expecting some time in between. This is springtime. We go out to sow at this point. We're not expecting to see the, the tractor coming into the field on your way out, like coming in to, to lift the harvest. No, we don't expect that, do we? But Jesus is saying this is exactly what's happening now. Do you spot that? Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages. What does that mean? Well, in other words, the one who's going to be employed to do the reaping isn't sitting about waiting for the day whenever he gets his wages. No, he's already being paid. He's already employed. He's already gathering in the crop. And what's the crop here? Well, it's gathering people into eternal life, isn't it? Gathering people into the kingdom of God. 
The seed is going out and people are responding to it, coming to put their belief in Jesus, receiving him as the Messiah and the one who would save them from their sins. It's happening now with the Samaritans. The seed has just been sown and and we see the response, don't we? But it's not going to stop here. No, Jesus is the savior of the world. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's saying, lift your eyes, lift your eyes, don't miss what's happening. The fields are ready for harvest. And here they get to be part of what God is doing. Isn't that incredible? Whether sowing or reaping. In ministry, there's, there's different gifts, there's different seasons, and yet sowing and reaping are both essential, aren't they? And in verse 38, the disciples get to reap what they did not labor for. They were not the ones who sowed. So that raises the question, doesn't it? Well, who was it that did the sowing? Is it referring to the Old Testament prophets? Is it referring to John the Baptist, the kind of the, the last in the line of Old Testament prophets that we see that kind of type? Is it referring to the Samaritan woman? Is it actually Jesus? Because he's the one who's just been talking to the Samaritan woman before she heads into the town. Is it all of the above? Well, John doesn't give us any explanatory notes. But what is clear is this. What is clear is that the disciples get to pick up on the work of others. It's teamwork. It's God's work. It's kingdom work. And it really humbles us, doesn't it? It humbles us because it's not about us individually. We can't put up our hands and say, I was the one who was responsible for that person coming into the kingdom. That was me. That's six now. No, we we don't get to do that, do we? Because if we've learned anything from John's gospel, we'll know that it's really God's work, isn't it? It's really God's work. And yet, God uses means. He uses people like me and you to sow and to reap. And he often chooses to use slow and faltering disciples. And again, that's good news, isn't it? One sows, another reaps. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Here the woman sows, doesn't she? She goes out and she sows. She points to the fact that Jesus had divine knowledge. He is all-knowing. We call that omniscient. It's, it's an... It's an attribute that only belongs to God. And so as she says this, people recognize, okay, this is not an ordinary man. And people come to believe in response. Verse 40, flick with me there. Verse 40, so the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. He said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What do we see in this town? Well, we see a surprise, don't we? We see a surprising openness to the gospel. This is a Samaritan town, and yet they ask Jesus to come and to teach them, to stay a bit longer. And in typical John style, what do we see? We see testimony, and we see belief. The testimony of a woman and initial belief, 
But then the testimony of Christ himself, his word, and it leads to increased belief or perhaps even a a different type of belief. For what they now have is belief in the word of Jesus Christ himself, recognizing him for who he really is. Can I say, do not neglect the power of personal testimony. If you're a Christian, sharing your story is really, really valuable. And then point people to Christ. Point people to his word, the scriptures, where they too can hear his word and that they might echo the words of the people of Samaria who said this, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. As we finish up, note the very last phrase, savior of the world. Not just for the Jews, but Samaritans. But not just Samaritans, Jesus is the savior of the whole world. Not every person in the world. Now that's not how he's using world here. That's not how John uses world. But people from all over the world, all types of people, men, women, those from all types of backgrounds, tribes, and languages. And they're all being brought into the kingdom of God through the sowing and the reaping, through the gospel being shared far and wide, through the testimony of believers and the word of God. Doesn't that excite you this morning? Doesn't it excite you that you're If you're a believer this morning, this is the kingdom that you're part of. (laughs) That if you're a believer this morning, this is the savior that you have. That if you're a believer this morning, then this is a calling that is on your life. To share the testimony of meeting with Christ. And to point people to meet Christ for themselves in his word. Remember whenever we started, way back at the start, (laughs) we... um, We said this was a type scene, didn't we? A type scene where a boy meets a girl at a well and it ends up with a marriage. But rather than pointing to this woman's individual marriage, it points to Christ and the church. Well, if you're a believer this morning, then like the Samaritan woman who went to the well, then you too have found a groom. Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for his church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Sanctified, cleansed, without spot or wrinkle, holy, without blemish. Isn't that good news for the Samaritan woman? Isn't that good news for me? And if you're a believer here, isn't that good news for you? It surely is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you speak through your word. And Lord, might we be obedient. Might we have humble hearts, hearts that are willing to say yes and amen. 
Lord, might we be eager to say to many others, come and see Jesus. And if there's someone here who has not put their trust in Christ, who has not believed and received him as their personal savior, well then, today might they do that. Might they be welcomed into the kingdom. And might they then leave here saying to all of those that they have a particular relationship with to say, come and see Jesus, the Savior of the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.